So this morning, the title of the message is the Jerusalem Council. The message is about the Jerusalem Council's historic decree back in 48 AD, thereabouts, on how a Gentile Christian is saved and accepted into God's people. This historic decree was communicated through a letter that the Jerusalem Council drafted and then sent to the church in Antioch, the churches in Syria and Cilicia. This narrative, this letter is found in Acts 15, verses 22 to 33. Acts 15, verses 22 to 33. So please turn there, and as you're turning, let me set the context for this letter and its importance for us today as, for the most part, Gentile Christians. You see, the Jerusalem Council, as I said, occurred around 48 AD. This is about 15 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. By this time, the gospel had gone out from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. The gospel had gone out from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and it had marched into Syria, in Asia, what's modern-day Turkey, on its way to the ends of the world. If we can show the map, basically, the gospel started here in Jerusalem, had marched up here through Damascus into Syria, Galatia, Asia, and eventually, this map shows where the gospel went all the way through the second century. Back then, this was the end of the earth. Britannia, Germania, that was the end of the earth. So as it marches, as it marches from Jerusalem, which is primarily a Jewish context, Jewish people being converted to Christianity, as it marches in through Syria, Antioch is right here, the church now becomes more Gentile. Converts are now, by and large, Gentile converts. And with the conversion of Gentile converts comes a new question. With the fulfillment of Jesus' words in Acts 1.8 which is on the screen here, with the fulfillment of his words in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea. You can put the scripture up on the screen. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Going back to the map, we see by the second century that happened. With that success in the mission comes two crucial questions. And these questions arose in the minds of the Jewish Christians because now Gentiles are being converted. And here are the two questions. Question number one, do the Gentiles have to add circumcision and obedience to the law of Moses to what Jesus did for them in his death and resurrection in order to be saved? Do the Gentiles have to become, in a sense, Jews to be saved? And the second question, which is related to the first one, do the Gentiles have to become Jews to be accepted as God's people? See, remember, those asking the question were themselves Jews, were themselves circumcised, were themselves raised in the Old Covenant. So it's, it's natural for them to ask, is the Old Covenant sort of like, you know, version 1.0 of the program? And now the New Covenant Christ is version 1.1, and in order to get upgraded to version 1.1, you still have to download version 1.0 of the, of the program? Do the Gentiles have to be circumcised? and obey the law of Moses in order to be saved? It's a logical question. I mean, do they have to become Jews to be part of God's people? Friends, you must remember something. At this time, already at this time, for over 2,000 years, ever since God called Abraham, the Hebrew, around 2000 B.C., thereabouts, in Genesis 12. Ever since that day, the people of God were always Jews. They were Hebrews. So for the Gentiles to be included into the people of God, do they have to become Jews? It's a logical question. And the Jerusalem Council's answer, God's answer, would be crucial to the future of the gospel and to its and to its spreading throughout the world. And 
how did the Jerusalem Council answer that question? Do Gentiles have to become Jews? Do Gentiles have to be circumcised and obey the law? Do they have to add that to faith in Jesus to be saved? And the Jerusalem Council thundered, no! Gentiles do not have to add circumcision and the law to Christ in order to be saved. And Gentile Christians do not have to become Jews in order to be accepted as God's people. I preached on this two weeks ago from Acts 15, 6 through 21. And just by way of reminder, let's review that scripture. I've got it here on the screen for you. Here is what happened in the Jerusalem Council, part one of the sermon that today is part two, part one of the Jerusalem Council, to review in a previous episode... Acts 15.6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. What matter were they considering? Do the Jews have to be circumcised and add the law to be saved? Do the Jew, excuse me, do the Gentiles have to be circumcised and add the law to be saved? Do Gentiles have to become Jews to be part of God's people? That's the matter they were considering. And after they had been, there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, You know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God knows, and God who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. There's a hint to what the answer is going to be. God gave the Gentiles the Holy Spirit. And he didn't ask them to be circumcised. He just gave it to them. Verse 9. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their heart, By faith. Here's another hint. He cleansed their heart by faith just like he cleansed our hearts by faith. He did not cleanse my heart by the law. No, no. The law revealed my sin. Faith in Christ cleanses my sin. Verse 10. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke, the law, on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? The law is good, but you cannot be saved through the law. The law just shows you how you break the law. My children, when they were little, didn't, had no desire to touch that monitor until I said, don't touch. Oh, don't touch. That's it. That's what the law does. It reveals my sinful heart. Verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved. How will we be saved? Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. They're saved like we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul. Now listen, you have to understand something. Peter is saying this in the shadow of the temple, in the shadow of the very seat of Judaism and the law and Moses and circumcision. He's he's saying it probably in Solomon's porch, the place where, I mean, that's the center of this whole thing. And he's saying they don't need this whole thing because Jesus fulfilled this whole thing, and Jesus is now the way we're saved. It's radical. They were silent. And then Barnabas and uh, Paul step up and they relate what signs and wonders had, uh, God had done through them among the Gentiles. Verse 13. After they finished speaking, James, who's the leader now of the church in Jerusalem, most probably, he, he replies, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people from his name. So see, God's plan was that map you saw at the beginning, that he would take a people from his name from the whole earth. That's God's plan. Verse 15, and with this, the words of the prophets, he's going to quote Amos 9, 11 to 12. If you didn't hear the message, you can go back and listen to it, because I know I'm speaking really fast, but this is just introduction. But we did preach on it two weeks ago. Download it and listen to it. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, quoting now Amos 9, 11 to 12. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. I'm going to add the Gentiles to my people. I'm going to rebuild the tent of David. I'm going to rebuild my people, the Jews, not with the physical temple and the law, but with Jesus Christ, who is now the spiritual temple, the tent of David. Israel is rebuilt into true Israel in Jesus, not in the temple. And then I'm going to add the Gentiles to that new Israel, that new people, that restored people in Jesus. So James says, that's what's happening. And then look at verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is, therefore, my judgment is not only his, we're going to find out it's the Holy Spirit's, it's God's. 
that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. They, don't tell them to get circumcised. You know, guys, that'd be troubling if someone said, you've got to get circumcised to be saved, right? Don't trouble me with that. Even more so, don't trouble me with trying to obey every one of the 613 laws that the rabbi said I've got to obey in order to, for me to be saved. No, 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 no. I'm saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone through the grace of God alone. But do tell them this, verse 20. But should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols. We're going to talk about that a little bit more today. And from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. Verse 21. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. For he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Now, today's message is part two of the Jerusalem Council. It's part two of guarding the gospel. That was the title of the message two weeks ago on this text that I just read. And in today's text... In Acts 15, 22 to 33, and if you're not there by now, wow, because that's a long introduction, but you should be there. <laughs> Today in Acts 15, 22 to 33, we're going to now treat the Jerusalem Council's decree, which we just heard James speak, written in a letter, and this letter is going to be given so that guys can go back to Antioch, about 240 miles north of Jerusalem, about from here to Orlando. They're going to walk back there. It takes them a while. And they're going to share that letter with the primarily Gentile church in Antioch. So, let's read about it. That was a long introduction. But it was a good one. So let's read. Acts 15, 22 to 33. The council's letter to Gentile believers is how the ESV Bible kind of heads that little section. So let's read about the council's letter to Gentile believers. Verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. Now here's the letter that they sent with these guys. Quote, the brothers both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. Farewell. Verse 30. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch. Well, they actually went up, but you always go down from Jerusalem because Jerusalem is on a mount, the mount of the Lord. They went to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation... Together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears you would open our eyes, that you would build your church on the foundation of Jesus Christ, and that we would see what is unseen. And the gospel would be primary here in this church, and in my life, and the lives of my friends. And because of that, you would build a strong church with strong believers who encourage one another and strengthen the church with their words and with their lives. And we reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On Monday, April the 15th, Patriots Day, two powerful bombs exploded at the finish line of the Boston Marathon. Later that day, it was reported that a suspect had been apprehended. It turned out that report was false. As we all now know, it wouldn't be until late in the week that first one of the bombers was killed in a shootout with the police, and then the other was captured on Friday night, April the 19th. The news agency that filed the false report on Monday, April the 15th, cited 
unnamed sources that proved to be not only unnamed, but unreliable and untrue. Amazingly, a week later, on April the 22nd, the Associated Press cited, quote, unnamed source who was not authorized to speak publicly on the case. Well, the unnamed source, nevertheless, spoke about the case, remaining unnamed, and the AP was happy to report it, and truth be known, we were probably happy to read about it. Here's the problem. Here's the big problem. It is really hard to verify the reliability of an unnamed source. So what does that have to do with this text this morning? Well, it turns out that unnamed sources were offering up an answer to the two questions about whether Gentiles can be saved apart from the law and circumcision and whether they can be part of God's people apart from becoming Jews. They were giving answers to that question that conflicted with the truth of the Jerusalem Council's decree, these unnamed sources. See, these unnamed sources, and if you look in Acts 15.1, you'll see them. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And then Acts 15.5, But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. These unnamed sources, these some men, these some believers, in verse 24, these some persons, these unnamed sources insisted that Gentile Christians had to add circumcision to the law of Moses and to their faith in Christ in order to be saved and accepted as God's people. Now, now sadly, sadly, they are not the only unnamed sources that try to add to what Christ has done for salvation. 2,000 years later, fast-forwarding to today, countless unnamed sources have sought to add something to Christ's work for our salvation and acceptance as God's people. And you could just start with the unnamed sources swirling around in your head that want to add your good works to your sense of being saved before God, as if your works had any merit at all before God when it comes to your salvation. These unnamed sources, these thoughts that float around. You know, you know that thought? I actually had someone quote this to me in the church early on. What does it say in the Bible that God helps those that help themselves? What's that verse? <laughs> there is no verse. That's one of those unnamed sources. But these unnamed sources say, you know, I will just feel more saved if I were doing well right now. As if my merit, my works, have any standing before God at all when it comes to salvation. As if my salvation is based on anything other than Christ's righteousness and good works on your behalf. These are nasty, unnamed, unreliable sources. And I encounter these sources every time I do new members' interviews. I mean, I encounter them when I'm sharing the gospel on the street, for sure. We used, to, we used to do these free car washes, and we're going to probably do them again here next year. But you would wash people's cars for free. You would refuse to take money. I mean, some people freak out about that. Like they, they're like so freaked out about it. As they're driving away, they just throw dollar bills out as they drive away. And it's like, we don't want your money. We not only don't want your money, here's a refreshment. Here's a little snack. Oh, is your kid here? We'll like play with your kid and show them videos and give them snacks. What? Because what's going on is when we're washing their cars, we're also sharing with them the gospel of Jesus. We have tents set up, and it's free. Because God's love is free. And I, when I ask them, what assurance would you have of God? if you were to die tonight? What, and God would ask you, why should I allow you to my heaven? They, I mean, I've had people say, well, I go to church, I tithe, I've not murdered anybody, which in South Florida is, you know, saying something. I, I, <laughs> I'm not as bad as the next guy. That's, that's bad enough in the world. I'm talking believers. I, I mean... One of the questions we ask new members, because the foundation of being a member in this church is your faith in Jesus, that God's called you, saved you. What's your assurance of your salvation? They will start with Jesus, but they'll always smuggle in some good works. Always. And by the way, it's not just them. It's us. It's me. 
I don't know. I don't know if it's that sort of Catholic thing that we all have going. Well, not all, but many of us, maybe if you were born in a Latin environment. It's just this whole idea of I've, I've got to work. I, I've got to add something. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Martin Luther made a, a clear distinction. The righteousness that saves is a foreign righteousness to me. It is Christ's righteousness. I wear it as a cloak. Catholic Church would teach that the righteousness that saves becomes mine. It is mine. I ingest it. That's a huge difference. It may not be apparent on the surface, but it's a massive difference. The Reformation is based on that difference. Salvation by faith alone in Christ alone through the grace of God alone. No works of man can be added. It's there, historically. See, and what happens is, when we buy that false report, then we start thinking kind of like the following. Hmm. So, maybe I'm more loved by God and accepted by God if I'm doing well today. And then we start looking around. Maybe that one's more a part of the church and more loved by God, and I'll accept them more if it looks like they're doing well. And that one, hmm, I don't like the way they look. I don't know how accepted they would be today. They're being mean to me. (laughs) They look different. And it just sneaks into the church and it separates us. Listen, it separated the church in Antioch. We know from the sermon two weeks ago that Peter bought into it. That Peter bought into it so much. These unnamed sources influenced Peter so that when these unnamed sources from Judea came to Antioch, Peter stopped having meals with his Gentile Christian brothers. And Paul had to rebuke him face to face. Read it in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. It influenced even Peter. It separates us, brothers and sisters, along sometimes racial lines, socioeconomic lines, even just, I'm better than you because I'm having a good day, or I'm a better Christian than you are. As if your merit has anything to do with your salvation. You cannot be more accepted than you are right now in Jesus Christ because you are accepted totally by Jesus' righteousness. Not one ounce, not one drop of your own. Don't smuggle it in there. I'm not saying your good works aren't important. They are. But not for your salvation, friend. And if we let it creep in, it divides us like it did Peter from his Gentile Christian brothers. We, we start asking this question. You know what? I'm not, I think I'm going to hold them at arm's distance until they add X, Y, Z to their Christianity or until they subtract X, Y, Z from their, from their life. <laughs> you know, take off all those rings all over your face. Dress this way. Stop saying these words then I'll accept you fully as a bona fide member of Palm Vista. But until you do that, you're sort of on probation. Not to be brothers and sisters. That is self-righteousness. That is hypocrisy. That is being a Pharisee. And I am guilty of it. The longer you're a Christian, the more you have to fight it. The 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 foundation to be a bona fide member of God's people is not that we have to become Jews, in quotation marks, today, fill in whatever you want to say. It's not that we have to behave a certain way or look a certain way or believe a certain political scheme or, or, or do whatever. It is that we are saved by Jesus Christ alone and grafted into his people alone. And that's the basis for my fellowship with you. And at the cross, we're all on the same ground. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We've got to battle these unnamed sources swirling around in our heads who whisper these subtle lies about adding to what Jesus has done before we accept others or before we feel accepted by God. And this text brings it to light. And let me tell you how it brings it to light. It brings it to light on a key contrast. And I hope that I've captured that contrast by this little saying here that's going to come up on the screen. This is the key contrast. I think that it's captured in this text. It's this. Here it is. It's either God's people speaking God's words strengthen God's church 
So that's what we're hoping for. That's the goal of this message. If you want to ask, why am I sitting here? Why is Al preaching this? What is God's purpose? Is God speaking to me this morning? Yes, he is. And I believe this is what he's saying. It's either God's people speaking God's words, strengthening God's church, or some people, unnamed sources, speaking man's word or man's opinion. I mean, we all have opinions. Most of us really don't care what your opinion is. We all have opinions. And you know what they all have in common? They're all flawed to a certain degree. Happy for you to have your opinion. You may even be right. But the only opinion that is not flawed, the only opinion that is pure, that can change us, is God's. So either God's people speaking God's words, strengthening God's church, or some people speaking, haranguing, screaming, Facebooking, tweeting, emailing, Hiring a plane to ride it in the sky, man's words weaken God's church. It's either or. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. We're either going to listen to God's people speaking God's words about his salvation, or we're going to hear some people, some people, some men, some believers, some persons in this text Unnamed sources speaking man's words, man's unverified and often bogus opinions, like in the Boston Marathon bombings, that bogus opinion on that first day proved to be untrue, like that kind of stuff. These unnamed sources that are unreliable speaking about God's salvation. I I love the, you know, they say, whenever you hear that, just ask, and Who are they? Where did they come from? What's their perspective? What's their agenda? No, no, you name they, and then let's talk about it. But if it's they say, nah, I'm not going to buy it, because I got a name source. See, the doctrinal issues addressed by these two questions on salvation and acceptance into God's family as God's people. They were crucial for the history of the redemption of Jesus Christ spreading to the then known world in the first century. And they are crucial to our personal redemption today and that redemption spreading in our lives and in our families and in our church and in our community. The gospel is at stake. The church is at stake. We must pay attention to these contrasts. This one right here, it's got to be in our minds. Either God's people speaking God's words strengthen the church, or some people, and we could be part of that, some people, because it did say some believers, speaking man's words, man's opinions, weaken God's church. And it can be subtle, and it can be insidious. There's a prayer that I've been praying every week for years. It comes from D.A. Carson's commentary, excuse me, book called The Cross in Christian Ministry. And just to paraphrase it, I just pray this, and I'm quoting loosely D.A. Carson. Lord, may we utterly be committed to the centrality of the cross, not just at vague theoretical levels, but in all of our strategy and practical decisions, in everything that we do, in every ministry that we have. Lord, may we be fearful of adopting approaches that empty the cross of Christ of its power, And may we seek only your approval. This is a tough one for me. Because just if I'm honest with you, I can be driven. I'm a driven man. Hard to tell, right? Because I'm screaming right now, like preaching, veins popping out of my head. This is how I live my life. I'm an ambitious man. And I don't think that's wrong if it's godly ambition. God made us to be ambitious men. God made us to want to climb the mountain, wanted to, to want to forge through the desert, to want to do the hard thing. God made us that way, but godly ambition. And that's where it goes wrong with me at times. Because sometimes I'm driven by selfish ambition, and I'm driven to see the next guy's church or the next guy's ministry, and it looks like it's growing a little faster and prospering a little better. And I'm tempted at times to take shortcuts and to do things that minimize the cross, that are not faithful to the gospel. Because it looks like the other stuff's working better, quote, unquote. And that's where I've got to remind myself, and you remind me, thank you, church, that may I seek the approval of the one, the one, the one, the one who will test this thing on the final day. 
both in this church and in your personal life. What's it care what I think about you? It's what God thinks about you. It doesn't matter what your father or mother, whomever you have in your mind now that maybe didn't give you the approval you wanted, or some society, or even right now, how you're living your life, how you're giving your money. People look at you and say, you're crazy. They don't approve how you raise your children. What's it matter? It's God that will stand before one day. But I forget that so easily. I'm moved by the face of man far too easily. But may I work for the approval, may I live for the approval that I have already in Christ, but then may that approval then birth fruit in my life that I live for him and him alone because he will test the quality of each builder's work. And D.A. Carson ends the quote this way. God cares about his church and he holds his leaders accountable. That makes me tremble. You may not like how I'm leading, and I do want to, you know, I'll talk about that. I want to hear from you. But the judge not liking how I'm leading, (laughs) that one has my attention. Good news is he's a merciful judge, and he will get my attention often through you to adjust how I'm leading. See, friends, if we base our salvation, if we base our well-being, if we base our acceptance with God and of one another on Christ plus some good work that we are in danger of doing what Paul says he never wants to do or never wants to be guilty of. And the quote is on the screen here, Galatians 2.21. We will be guilty of this. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Oh, friends, we must be alert to these unnamed sources that that whisper these bogus words, these man's opinions that are in utter contrast to God's people and God's words, and they whisper them, and if we listen to them, we will be guilty, brothers and sisters, of nullifying the grace of God, because somehow we'll ascribe to our works something that cannot be ascribed to them, and that's the ability to gain God's acceptance and and the righteousness that that God demands. And we will ultimately communicate to the world that Christ died for no purpose. We'll scream out, Jesus is the answer. But they won't even know the question. We will teach our children to try to be good apart from Christ. Now, we need to teach obedience. And there are years when they don't quite understand, and you need to be diligent. But there's got to come a point where you talk about the gospel when their obedience is Godward, not just to please mommy and daddy, or not just so that daddy doesn't get angry at you again. How sad that would be. But God loves you. But God is holy. And God is calling you to honor mommy and daddy. The gospel must be central. Or Christ died for no purpose. If I can be good and moral apart from Christ, then why did he die? If I can be accepted by God apart from Christ's sacrifice, then why did he have to die? And we can subtly, without meaning to, send that message. That's the message self-righteousness sends. We've got to be alert to it. So, let's examine the contrasts here between God's people speaking God's word versus some people speaking man's words or options, opinions. So let's go to point one. God's people speaking God's words versus some people speaking man's words. We start with the some people. Look at verse 24, please, of Acts chapter 15. What does it say there? Verse 24, since we have heard that some persons, some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. There's your some people. There they are. They have man's words. That word there, words, logoi. One theologian, Fitzmaier, says, really, really the sense of that is just a bunch of talk. It's a kind of a derogatory sense of some words. These words troubled the church. They unsettled the church's minds. These are the same people that we talked about in 15 verse 1. Some men came down from Judea, teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. 
These men are unnamed sources. They are unreliable sources. They are teaching the Gentiles that they cannot be saved apart from circumcision. Look at 15.5. Some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. So these are, these are Pharisees that have been saved. I believe they're fully saved, but they're preaching wrong doctrine. And they're saying, they rose up. It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. You better order them to keep the law of Moses or they cannot be saved. They're wrong. Notice that these men, back to verse 24, they're unauthorized. Look what it says in 24. Although we gave them no instructions. We didn't send these guys out. They're giving you their opinions. But they're not authorized opinions. They're bogus. They're troubling you. They're unsettling you. Now notice what they do. In response to these unnamed, unauthorized, unreliable sources... The church, God, sends named sources, reliable sources. Look, verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, there's his name, called Barsabbas. He even has two names. And Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. Here's the letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by the words of their mouth. See, God's people are named. God's people are authorized. God's people are sent. They are reliable sources. Why? Because they carry God's word. They were carrying God's word in their pocket in the letter, and they were carrying God's word in their mouth. See that verse 27? It says there, these guys are going to confirm this letter by word of mouth. So here's my question to you. Before we get to what they said. To whom are you listening? Are you listening to God's people speaking God's word? Or are you listening to some people speaking man's word or opinion? So hold that question in your mind. We'll get back to it at the end of the sermon. Verse 29, what did these guys say? Here's what God has to say through these men. Look at verse 29. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. You see that, verse 29? For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. God is speaking. God, the Holy Spirit. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden... So we're not going to put the law on you or circumcision. Remember, they're referring back to what was said in Acts 15, 6 through 21. No greater requirement, verse 29, that you abstain from what was sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do Well, so what's happening here? The apostolic decree, God's word, based upon the fact that salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. Remember Peter said that? By faith alone, through grace alone, in Jesus alone are we saved, Jew and Gentile. Based upon that bedrock foundation, here's what the the, the apostles said. Here was their decree, and it was elegant. It was beautiful. It included four stipulations. These four stipulations dealt with, I think... I think two of them dealt with loving God and two of them dealt with loving your neighbor. If you remember the foundation is Jesus Christ, saved in Christ alone. Look at verse 29a. The first of these two 
stipulations or these four stipulations is love God. Because it says in verse 29a that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols. Now skip down to verse 29c, the last one. And that you abstain from sexual immorality. Both of these practices are associated with pagan temple worship. Most of the people in the then known world were pagan worshipers of temples. And in these pagan worship and these pagan temples, oftentimes sex was part of the worship. You had cult prostitutes, male and female. Kind of helps people come to church in a perverted way. Because these were perverted religions and these were not gods. And, and, and things sacrificed to idols. So what I believe God is saying is you're saved by Jesus Christ alone. You worship the one true God. Stop even associating with anything that has to do with worshiping the false gods. Be who you are. Worship the God who is actually God and stop with those practices. You're saved now in Jesus. Don't even associate with these temple practices. It's not who you are. And then the second two of these four stipulations, I believe, deals with loving your neighbor. That's where he says that you would abstain from blood and from what has been strangled. It's the middle two, from blood and what what has been strangled in verse 29. So he's saying, love your Jewish neighbor as yourself by not eating blood nor what has been strangled. These do to, to, to defer to your Jewish Christian brother so you can have table fellowship with him. So as not to divide the church. I think David Peterson, in his commentary, captures this very well. The quote's on the screen. He captures these two warnings well. It was a warning, these four stipulations. It was a warning to abstain from acts that would offend Jewish scruples. Remember, the unnamed sources were dividing the church. If you're a Gentile Christian, you're less than a Jewish Christian because, hey, we are circumcised, we obey the law. No, you don't. Uh, and, but, you know, we think we do. And so you're less than us. And if you want to be a true Christian, you've got to be circumcised and try to obey the law, which you won't be able to because we never could. That's why Jesus came. And the church was divided. Peter stopped eating with these guys when certain men from Judea came to Antioch. All right, so back to this quote. It was a warning to abstain from acts that would offend Jewish scruples and hinder social intercourse between Jewish and Gentile believers. The church was divided. God wants to unite his church. But its deeper significance is the implied challenge to break completely with every pagan association and practice and to do all things, even eating and drinking to the glory of God, causing no one to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. John Stott helpfully concludes his discussion of the Jerusalem Council by observing that it secured a double victory, a victory of truth in confirming the gospel of grace and a victory of love in preserving the fellowship by sensitive concessions to conscientious Jewish scruples. You know, a letter can be very impersonal. That quote's a little impersonal. It's a little long, isn't it? I promise to have shorter quotes in the future, right? But that can come off as kind of impersonal, can it? Kind of lose track of what's going on here. So what the council in Jerusalem did is they said, we're going to send two men, Judas and Silas, who will communicate with their mouths what is going to be read in this letter. And not only will they communicate with their mouths, but they're going to demonstrate with their lives what this letter says. They're going to declare God's word. They're going to demonstrate God's word. Listen, understand this. Judas is a Hebrew circumcised Christian. And Silas, whose Latin name is Silvanus, is an uncircumcised Gentile Christian. And they're going to walk in together, having traveled 240 miles for a long time, eating together, maybe rooming together. They're leaders in the church, and they're going to deliver this decree, and their words and their lives are going to say it. The gospel of Jesus unites us. Jesus alone is my salvation. The foundation 
for our fellowship, the foundation for your salvation is Jesus and Jesus alone. And they're going to be the embodiment of the message that's going to unite this Antiochian church, which I imagine when they got together to hear the letter, you had the Jews on this side, you had the Gentiles on this side, and they were looking at each other kind of funny, and they were suspicious with each other, and the Jews were trying to figure out why Peter all of a sudden was on their side, but then after Paul rebuked him, he's on their side. And what's going on? And there's factions of people who are mad at each other. They walk by each other in the hallway kind of like this, you know, and like, don't talk to them. You know, they're a little weird. And the church is divided. It's, it's political. Should not be, brothers and sisters. If there's anybody in this church that you're not looking at eye to eye, go look at them eye to eye and say, hey, what's up? How are we? What's going on? The gospel unites us. It's bigger than your culture. It's bigger than your opinions. It's bigger than your thoughts. It's bigger than all that. Jesus unites us. I, I was thinking about this as I was texting my friend Tim Kelso because Ressie is in Tim's home group, community group, and he has cared for her for years. And I just, I just was overcome with affection for Tim Kelso. I, I mean, we are very different. We're both getting really old now. We both have gray hair. But other than that, we're really, really different. And this is the first guy and his wife, Mary Ann, they're the first people who said, we're going to Miami with you 18 years ago. A woman from Iowa and a guy who lived a long time in Iowa and very comfortable in Iowa. <laughs> I don't think they speak Spanish. <laughs> they look pretty, pretty Anglo to me. <laughs> and I thank God. What friends, what witness. If you've been in this church for any period of time, you know these are servants' servants. Their daughters have grown up here. They've married people from down here, which we have an eye on, on them. I'm looking at the son-in-law back there. Um, they've given their lives in a foreign country. (laughs) Right? You know that. (laughs) Thank you. Because our fellowship is based on Jesus. But you know what? Over the 18 years, we've become the best of friends. And we're very different. That's what unites us. And that's what Judas and Silas were embodying as they walk in, best of friends, and they said, listen, here's the letter, guys. And as they hand the letter to them in verse 30 and they gather the church, what they've done is what God's called us to do in this culture, and that's to incarnate the letter. Listen, we've got a letter to give people, but we can't just read it impersonally like this David Peterson quote. I mean, just looking at it kind of gives me a little bit of a headache right now. But we've got to incarnate it. Listen, you want to know what that's saying? Look at us. You want to know what this is saying? Look at us. That's what Jesus said. They'll know that the Father sent me if they see your love. Verse 30. Verse 30. Point two. When God's people declare God's word, it strengthens God's church. That's the second uh, contrast, please. Point two. God's church strengthened versus God's church weakened. Look at verse 30. So when they, Judas and Silas, along with Paul and Barnabas, were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, remember it was a divided congregation, who knows how big it was. It was probably pretty big. Antioch was one of the leading cities in the Roman Empire at that time, maybe number three, maybe. Rome, Alexandria, probably Antioch was number three. Huge metropolitan city, massive. So, they, sent, they, they gather the congregation. They deliver the letter. Look at verse 31. And when they had read it, most probably they gave the letter to one of the leaders of the church in Antioch. So probably a Greek Christian stands up to read this letter that holds the fate of Greek Gentile Christians. Guys are sweating a little bit. Might going to have to get circumcised. Um, they're talking about the law of Moses. What's going to happen? And a Greek, there's no email. There's no NBC News, CBS, Fox. Nobody's leaking this. There's no, this is the real deal. They stand up. Here comes the parchment. Judas and Silas are sitting right over there. Embodiment of the letter. And the guy reads the letter. He reads what we just thought, what we just heard, the decrees. And listen to the response. Verse 31. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. I, I could just imagine, like, people on the Jewish side. You'll be the Jewish side. Maybe you'll be the Jewish side because there's fewer of you. I think there were more Greeks than Jews in this church, a lot more. So guys, imagine, like, one of the wives of the Jewish, like, the, the strong Jewish leader, just like, honey, I knew it. 
Let's jump up and go hug their neck. I can just imagine, like in the middle, they just run. Yeah, it's like reuniting with one another. Oh, let's come over, sit with me. Come over. Hey, after dinner, you want to come to my house? Yeah. What are you having? I'm having pork. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. What do you think? You know, that, that's not important. You know, we're just like, is a bit sacrificed idols. No. Okay. Then let's just go. Let's let's have a meal. Let's let's sing hymns together. Let's sing Jewish hymns and Gentile hymns if they had hymns. And and just let's let's fellowship. And the church is excited. And and they're instead of coming in like. Like, yeah! I can just imagine that. Maybe you can't. I have an overactive imagination, but I think that's what was happening. And then look at verse 32. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. With many words, church. With many words. There's a lot of words out there. Sometimes I think there's too many out there. I don't care what you had for breakfast. Stop tweeting it to me. I don't care your take on everything. I really don't. But listen, the words that should be out there are the words that Judas and Silas preach. With many words, they encourage them. With many words, they strengthen the church. I believe those were gospel words. Those were words of the word of God. Those were words that were true from name sources, reliable sources, authorized sources. And do you see how encouraging it was to the church? I mean, can you imagine being a Gentile Christian? sitting there waiting for one of your leaders to read this parchment that came from two leaders from Jerusalem, and you're wondering, am I even saved? These guys have been telling us we're not even saved because we're not circumcised, and Paul argued with them publicly, and I believe Paul, but gosh, these guys did come from Judea, and the church kind of was born in Jerusalem, and they are Jewish Christians. Maybe they do have something on us. Maybe all this law thing is true. Am I saved, honey? Are our children saved? Are we going to heaven? Is this all true? Listen, when it says their minds were unsettled, they were unsettled, they were troubled. And they hear the truth. And it settles them. It strengthens a church that was weakened by a bunch of baloney. By a bunch of men that may be able to fill stadiums, but have no truth. Their words are empty. And today, we're weakened as well by opinions. I think of this issue on marriage. It's a lot of words. But there's one word. I preached it yesterday at a wedding. It's called a creation ordinance. In the beginning, God said there would be a man, and from that man, he created a woman. And he said, that man and that woman would come together, and that is marriage. And it's going to be harder to say that. We've got to say it in love. This is a name source. That one may be easy for you to say amen to. It is for me, although it may get harder. But there are other ways that we are challenged, friends. There are other ways, there's unnamed sources that challenge us in what is acceptable, what isn't is acceptable. How do I change? How do we do evangelism? I mean, there's just so many words. But as we go back to this word, as we talk about this word, then the opinions of man that can unsettle us. Listen, I just want to slow down here for a moment and just say something to you in, in all love and humility, I hope. Your words are either strengthening this church or weakening it. And when you jump on Facebook and have an opinion on something, just think about it before you articulate it. That's all I ask. We want to be about truth, but we want our words to strengthen. Strengthen it, not divide unnecessarily. I realize truth does bring a division. I got that. But some of these things, you know, especially when we get in the area of politics, just just caution you. Are you building? Are you strengthening? Are you dividing?
unrelated to what I just said, back to the doctrine of the gospel. Here's my question to you. Who are you listening to? Who carries the most weight with you? It is, the, is it the known, authorized sources? Is it your pastors, your community group leaders, mature fellow believers in the body of Christ? Or is it some unnamed, unknown, unauthorized source who brings man's words, man's opinions that may be able to fill a stadium or throw out the first pitch in a ballpark but are empty of God's truth and power? God's people come with God's authentication on them. And that authentication is love. Paul and Barnabas were beloved by the brothers in Jerusalem. That's what it says in verse 25b. So from a motivation of love, they risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. They loved God and they loved the brothers. Do the people you listen to love you like that? Do they love you like your community group leader loves you? Do they love you like your pastors love you? They love you like your parents love you. Your brothers and sisters in Christ who know you and love you. (laughs) Love is God's authentication, friends. Pay attention. Be discerning about to whom you listen. God authenticates his people with his word through relationships that model or incarnate the word. Here's the bottom line of this text. Here's the bottom line of this text. Here's the main point I want you to take from this text. I believe it's the main point God wants you to take from this text. That God's people speaking God's words strengthen God's church. God's people speaking God's word strengthens God's church. We are all either strengthening the church with God's word in our mouths, or we are weakening the church with man's word in our mouth. Do we long to come to community group this Wednesday, this Tuesday, this Thursday, this Saturday? I love it that we're meeting in all different days. A little hard to stay up with, but I love it. Do we come with God's word in our mouth? Now, I know you're going to come with your opinion. I got that. But at some point, maybe five or ten minutes into your opinion, just think, is this God's word or my opinion? (laughs) We want to strengthen one another with God's word and ask questions. And it's legitimate to talk about it. Do do we come to a Sunday morning? Listen, do we strengthen the church by making it a priority to come to a Sunday morning or a community group to listen to God's word so that we can then be moved by God's word and God's authorized uh, 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 speakers of God's word? so that we can then go bless others. When you make your plans of what to do during the week, do you take into account strengthening the church through God's word, either listening to it or speaking it? Do you go beyond just yourself and say, what I'm going to do with my life, I want to strengthen the church, so I'm going to be there. I'm going to make it a priority to listen to it. I'm going to make it a priority to discuss it. I'm going to, hey, let's go to Bible 45. Yeah, I know it's a couple, it's an hour early, it's a Sunday, but it's God's word. I'm going to go listen to a, a, a teaching on 1 Peter at the Beisner's house on Sunday night. I'm, I'm going to go to community group this week. I'm going to come with God's word in my heart. Men, I'm going to pray God's word. I'm not going to remain mute when they say it's time to pray. I'm going to let my mouth speak God's word. I mean, you just open up a psalm. Just start praying it. That's what I do. Psalms are in here somewhere. And you're going to open up a psalm and you just pray it. Just turn to Ezekiel. Whoa. Read chapter 37. Put them all to sleep. Do you come with God's word? Do you build the church, friends, with the word of God, or do you divide it with your opinions? That's the question. That's the question. Singles, thank you for going to hear Corey teach this year about the Holy Spirit. He's one of God's authorized. Youth, thank you for hearing David and Alex and others and Corey teach and then discussing it with your parents. That's strengthening our church. But you know what? There's one other way to strengthen our church, and that's to do it one-on-one. Imagine I'm holding up David Helm's book, One-to-One Bible Studies. It's out there. I forgot to get it before I preached. It's it's, it's a great little book about actually reading the Bible together one-on-one. If you don't know about it, ask Bentley. He's an expert on it. I've just started reading it. He's actually been doing it with some of his guys. When you get together, you actually read God's word and talk about it. As well as the heat and whether they're going to sweep the bucks, that's fine. But, but you get to this first. 
The church is strengthened by all of these as we speak God's word and show up to hear God's word and then share God's word. Let us delight in God's word and let it strengthen and encourage us, church, by declaring it, by demonstrating it. We need God's word. Let's pray. Worship team, come on up. We're going to end with a song. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you would give grace for me to preach your word, that you would give Corey grace to preach your word on Sundays, that you would give Bentley grace to preach your word on Sundays. Lord, I pray that you would give each one of our community group leaders grace to have your word as the central thing in our community group meetings. It doesn't have to necessarily be discussing the sermon. It could just be pop open the Bible. Let's talk about this scripture. Lord, you would give these men grace to study your word. They would be in your word. Lord, your word would be in their hearts and their minds. Lord, give Cal grace as he teaches on 1 Peter here on Sunday afternoons in his home. Lord, build your church. Lord, give the men and women of this church the grace to pick up David Helm's book and go one-to-one Bible reading and not be ashamed to be sitting in a Starbucks with our Bibles open, big old fat Bibles, and just talking about it. Inviting friends. Hey, you believe that the Bible is the word of God? No. Have you ever read it? No. How would you know? And just start reading it with them. Lord, give us boldness. Give us a tenacity to speak your word when we're so ready to speak our opinion. May your word be bigger in our minds than our opinion or the opinion of some other person. Lord, may we be alert to listen to known, authorized, reliable sources. And may we call their bluff on the unreliable, unnamed sources. Give us discernment, Lord. We tend to be sheep. Actually, we are sheep. That's what you call us. Thank you that you're the good shepherd. May we help shepherd one another. As we're eating the grass in the pasture, we turn to our friend and say, hey, don't eat that. That's bad stuff. Come over here. Helping one another to be in your word. And may your church be strong as we do this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing your words of life as a final song. Amen. Look this way. Let me just give you a blessing from the word of God. If you're a believer, if you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've bowed your knee to him. Your righteousness is in Christ and Christ alone. This is for you. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you for coming this morning. I went a little bit late on my sermon. If you could help these guys break down, because we have to leave by noon from the building. If you're a guest, I'd love to say hi to you right through these doors. Thank you.